and everything. And we're just, we're proud to be along your side. So we're going to start off with some Noth Nuggets right now. Um, Eric's going <laughs> to, Eric's going to start us out with uh, the words. So sweet. The term kind of uh, freaked me out a little bit, but now I've kind of grown on it, and uh, it's grown on me, so I won't reject it. Um, if you've been uh, here for, I don't know, six weeks, you know I've been talking about one particular topic, uh, which is the mind of Christ. It started just with the mind of Christ in 1 Corinthians 2.16. It says, we have the mind of Christ, and it's like, that doesn't get taught on very often, and that led us kind of into this area where we've kind of been circling my revelation of tonight and then I have next week. And I don't even tell you what's coming out for next week because I'm pretty pumped on it. But um, tonight I'm going to talk about revelation versus wisdom. And revelation, just in case so I can catch you up, uh, we have podcasts all that stuff, but we have the mind of Christ. And what that affords us is a connection to revelation because God is intertwined with us. And revelation, by kind of definition, is the unveiling of spiritual truths, realities, and the thoughts of God. That's what comes with having the mind of Christ. If you have received Jesus, that is what is available to you, and it should be normal Christian activity. We also looked at how revelation doesn't create anything new. It just exposes what's been there. That's uh, the definition of, reality, of revelation, and the purpose is always to bring transformation. God's not in the business of making us encyclopedias and very thoughtful and provoking. No, he wants us to have transformation from it. And so tonight I'm going to stumble across what's the difference between wisdom and revelation. And there's a very important difference. And they're, they're first of all, they're meant to be together. It's kind of like salt and pepper. You know, they kind of go together like beans and tortillas. You know, like the bowls and Michael Jordan. You know, I remember when Michael Jordan was playing for a different team. You're like, that doesn't work, you know. It's like Seattle and rain, you know. Am I kind of getting the point, right? It's like the kings and losing streaks, you know. All right. It's, um... It's like Miley Cyrus performances and vomiting. It's kind of like, right? Too, too far. Sorry. 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 Ephesians 1.17 says this. I keep on asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and, everyone say and, and revelation so that you may know him better. Spirit of wisdom revelation to know him better, not to be smart, not to sound profound, but to know him better. Luke twenty one fifteen, Jesus says this, says, for I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist nor contradict. Wisdom and revelation, they seem very similar, but they're used for very different purposes. They need to know for what purposes they're used. And I have kind of deduced them down to, to this statement here as a Christian is that you are destined to live practically and powerfully. You are destined to live practically and powerfully. Wisdom is how you live practically. Revelation is how you live powerfully. But both are vital. Oftentimes I'll run across different entrepreneurs and successful people like, wow, this guy is like super successful and, you know, he's got this car, he's got this house, he's got whatever plans and things. And you're like, man, I want to like do what he does and, and follow his steps. And then you get to meet him and he's like on his fifth marriage. He's a total stress case. He like cheats on his taxes, maybe embezzles. And you're like, I don't want your life. The result is interesting. I, I, I admire your result, but I don't want the means in which you took to get there. Have you ever met like a really powerful Christian? 
Who, yeah, <laughs> period. <laughs> yeah, hopefully, right? But then you found like their life was a total kind of disaster where someone is like, wow, they have such a powerful gift, such an amazing ability. Oh, they hear from God. They can speak so well. And then their personal life, the order of their life is in total chaos. They can't return emails. They're always late. They have no discipline. They have no leadership skills. Or people who are following them get ruined on the way of their ministry. It's crazy how many gifted people in ministry actually leave a trail of carnage of people behind them. We've had a powerful speakers here where we love them and then we try to do something more focused on them and they can't sign up for a meeting, they can't return our calls. And it's a big bummer too. Like you have these balances of where highly functional and powerful people are sometimes missing a component. And as far as, as revelation and power goes is that you will lose credibility in your power if your practical world can't sustain it. If you want to be powerful, you can be powerful, but if you want that to sustain and have actually um, a, a big move behind it to have it have longevity, you need to have a practical life that balances it out. In other words, you will have no place to use your power if you cannot be practical. People usually go far extremes one or the other. You notice that... Um, well, l- let me say this, just on that thought. You will limit, here's another way to think of it, you will limit the platform, the power God gave you, if you can't be practical. For people who aspire, oh, God has given me such great thing, and then their life does not even make any pathway for them to be used, it's nearly impossible. And have you ever thought that, you never saw Jesus, like, really in a hurry, or really, like, apologizing, like, oh, man, I was just... Feeding 5,000 people is awesome. I'm sorry I missed our appointments, you know. He never was like walking around how busy he was and oh, my schedule is so, I'm being used so much, it's so hard. Like, he never did that, right? And then you can be so practical that you are incapable of ever being powerful as well. You have the opposite extreme. Because you will never be powerful when you are primarily first trying to be practical. You know where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is... Freedom. I have wondered oftentimes if that has been accidentally translated reverse, where it probably should be, where there is freedom, there is the Spirit of the Lord. Because sometimes we can be so concerned about being practical that it eliminates the ability to be powerful. Wisdom and revelation, Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, says, Our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. He says, I came to you with power. In, in the first Corinthians, he talks about, I didn't even use human wisdom at all. I just came with power. That's all I came with. It doesn't sound very seeker-friendly, does it? <laughs> it doesn't sound like he's like too careful about offending people. And, and I get it. If you're new here, there's some weird stuff that just goes on in Christian faith and weird stuff that happens here. I'm just going to say it, right? We're all thinking it sometimes. But here's the, the deal is that you can't... <laughs> I'm, I'm pulling it back here. Hold on. I, okay, let me just on that. We have a God that lives inside of us. I mean, if you just think about the tenets of the faith, it's really weird. First, to be first will be last. I mean, like everything's backwards. Nothing actually makes sense. But here's the deal. If you try and get your mind around order and have practicality to everything, you actually won't experience God. I'm 100% convinced that in the the agenda to be practical and keep everybody safe, by keeping everybody safe, nobody experiences Jesus. And so that's why I'm like, things here, 
you know, sure, they're not my cup of tea sometimes. That's not up to me. It's like, I know where there's freedom, there's the Spirit of God. I'm not here for my own encounter. I'm here because all of us should be getting an encounter. And so I want God to move because it's not like I have an order of service here and it's like, okay, after prayer, God's power comes. As much as I would love that. You know, like I used to kind of order my jokes in here and I like tell a joke and like, no one's laughing, you know. It's the worst thing ever. But when you try and control things, when you try and keep them practical and, and so focused around that, you actually choke out the power of God to move. And so why do we have so much freedom here is because we're all about an experience with Jesus. How many know that nobody really needs a whole lot more um, head knowledge about Jesus? What they actually need is an encounter with Jesus. I don't know if you were on the way here and you saw a guy holding like a sign. Anybody pass the guy? I invited him here. I don't know if he's here. Bummer. Um, is he? No. Okay. Perfect. Okay, so we had a few people. Well-intended guy. An informational sign. But people don't need a sign. They need an experience with Jesus. And it's really hard to give someone an experience with Jesus and make it really practical and seeker-friendly. How many? Amen? It's kind of weird. It's kind of weird to say, oh, I'm going to experience God now and have it be totally normal and ordered. It doesn't, those things don't go together. And so in that, we need to know that on one end, you can have a powerful life that completely loses its platform because you can't be practical. And then you can have a totally practical, obsessed life that never has any power. There's no shortage of people who are really disciplined at reading their Bible every day, praying at every meal, right? You know, or pray every meal. You know, that's the only time we get prayer. And But they never have the fruit of the power of their life. That's where, again, wisdom and revelation, they balance each other out. The second thing in here is to... Are we okay with that? I know I kind of ventured... All right. I was getting some hairy eyeballs from you. Like, whoa, what are you doing? You know, making people nervous. All right. Don't write me angry emails. I have a good heart. (laughs) Wisdom revelation. Don't overemphasize one for the sake of the other. Don't suspend one for the sake of other. Don't suspend wisdom for the sake of revelation. Don't suspend revelation for the sake of wisdom. Revelation, as some Christians... Uh, Revelation is not, as some Christians believe, an upgrade to wisdom. It's not like wisdom is like what, you know, any common fellow man has. And then when you get revelation, it's the upgraded form of wisdom. Some Christians get revelation and then they think, well, you know, well, wisdom was just the, you know, old phase. I don't need to focus on that. It's not meant to be that way. People will easily overemphasize wisdom or revelation for the sake of the other. And it's kind of like, you know, um... Somebody who works out only chest and tries and buys, you know? They're like um, Popeye from like the waist up and olive oil from the waist down. You're like, you should try balancing that out, man. Like you're kind of top heavy. It's the exact same thing in our spirit. You guys are all thinking of somebody. I don't know who, but call it out now. Don't call it out. Um, I hate working legs. Side note. I'm probably one of those people. But... You kind of get dysfunctional in your workout if you only work on one thing. (laughs) I'll give you a second (laughs) to work it out. You you kind of lopsided there, but you can be the same thing in your faith. If you only seek revelation, you actually are a dysfunctional Christian. If you only seek wisdom, you are actually a dysfunctional Christian. 
If you seek both, you are a highly favored and powerful Christian. Because your practicality will open doors for your power to get used. Sometimes people are so powerful, but they can't, they never have a door open for them to even use the power. Because they're too bizarre. You know, their life is like out of control. It's like, okay, power, yes, but practicality, definitely. Because of your choices and your use of wisdom, your you will be placed in positions to be powerful. We have to balance both. Are you getting me? Revelation without wisdom actually makes you a poor steward. Revelation without wisdom makes you a poor steward. You know, it says we walk by faith, not by sight, right? That doesn't mean we walk with blindfolds. <laughs> it means there's a priority. There's a, a faith component that leads us, but it doesn't cause us to be dumb. So many Christians, they use faith as an excuse to be dumb. We need to, like, stop that. We're giving ourselves a bad name. How many Christians sign up for the... It's crazy how many get-rich-quick get schemes Christians find themselves in. You ever notice that, like, any new, like, trend? There's a whole, like, church is getting behind you. are like, really? These are the people that have the mind of Christ, and they're just getting bamboozled, you know? Without wisdom there, you can actually find yourself being a poor steward of almost every resource in your life. The opposite. Wisdom without revelation. Wisdom without revelation. You know what that is? It's called a Pharisee. You have these smartest people who they actually would super glue the Old Testament on their forehead. Because the scripture says in Joshua 1a, do not let the book in the mouth depart from your mouth and meditate it on a day and night. They said, meditate on day and night. That means have it on my head day and night. Right? They took it to the extreme. And there, they knew every verse backwards forwards. They had the whole scriptures memorized and they couldn't even see the Messiah in front of them. The least educated people, Peter, he called, you're the Messiah. It's pretty rad. But without revelation, if you have wisdom, but you don't have revelation, you'll always feel like you need more wisdom. Wisdom with revelation says you're smart, but you're a son first. And one without the other produces great arrogance. Chris Valentin says that your greatest Weakness is your greatest strength overemphasized. Your greatest weakness is your greatest strength overemphasized. People with too much revelation reject wisdom because they think they know it all. People with too much wisdom reject revelation because they think they know it all. (laughs) For the same reasons. But wisdom and revelation balance themselves out. Revelation shows you that your wisdom is not enough. Wisdom shows that your revelation uh, shows you how your revelation should be used. Understanding the differences between wisdom and revelation, you need to know the differences. I've just assembled a few of them for you guys tonight. Not a ton of them, but let me just give you a few highlights just so we know the differences. Um, is wisdom keeps you from falling. Revelation helps you get back up. Wisdom keeps you from falling. Revelation helps you get back up. Wisdom says, I should not put myself in that stupid situation. I should not go to that party. I should not return that phone call to the lady who says, I'm home alone and I would really love someone to cuddle with. Wisdom says, nothing good happens after 10 p.m. 
the scriptures say, abstain from sinful desires that wage war against your soul. First Peter 2.11. So you, you use wisdom and you just ask, what are the battlefields of my soul? Okay. Battlefield, battlefield, battlefield. Now, where should I never ever go? <laughs> you have your three battlefields. Wisdom helps prevent you to fall unnecessarily. It's not a, a sure proof. Like, we're gonna have times where it just happens despite our wisdom, but you can use wisdom to keep yourself out of the danger zone to begin with. But when you fall, Revelation says you are accepted, redeemed, and forgiven. Get back up. Get back up. Jesus says this in John 14, 26 says, the Holy Spirit will teach you all things. The Holy Spirit will teach you all things through the mind of Christ and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Remind you of everything I've said to you. Revelation is the reminder that even though I fell, I'm redeemed, I'm accepted, I need to get back up. Is that making sense? How can you tell if someone has no connection to Revelation? Here's a bold statement. How do you know if, how can you tell if someone isn't connected to Revelation? Is they have never been able to recover from their own guilt. Show me someone who's mired in their guilt that is held down with shame and guilt, and I'll show you someone who actually doesn't have Revelation. Remember, Revelation is the spiritual truths, realities, and thoughts of God. If you're feeling shame and guilt, it's not because of God, it's because of what you are believing. The spiritual truth is who you are, your son of the king. It's that Jesus doesn't remember your sin anymore. It recalls the scripture. It says to get back up. A righteous man falls seven times, but gets back up. That's what Revelation does. Someone who is trapped in their guilt doesn't have Revelation. They have really big butts. You know the people I'm talking about? Hey man, your son. Yeah, but. Blah, 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 blah. You know, like the yeah buts, you're trying to like help someone out. You're trying to like encourage them and they just give you this yeah, but revelation doesn't have any yeah, buts. It has yes and amen. Yes. And amen says I wasn't in agreement, but I agree. And yes, it is true. Not yeah, but yes. And amen. Revelation is the voice that tells you to get back up. Wisdom. Next one. Wisdom looks backwards, but revelation looks forward. The context, another way of thinking of it, the context of wisdom is history. The context of revelation is mystery, things being revealed. You can think of it as wisdom comes from history. Revelation comes from mystery. I had a whole bunch of those thoughts. Um, remember last week I talked about how Jesus said to his disciples, he says, I have much more to tell you, but you cannot bear them up now. There's more for you, just not now. That it's in his mercy that he reveals things to us as we are ready to obey. We talked about like not being set up for failure. Someone who just sets you up and you, you are automatically set to fail because you are not capable, competent, or whatever it is, you know, that you've you placed in a position to fail. But Jesus uses revelation as you are perfectly capable at that time of your life to obey. He's not going to give you something that you cannot walk out. And so revelation is the mystery revealed as we're ready to go forward. Wisdom is developed from experiential knowledge, on the other hand. Um, how many know you'd never pee on an electric fence? Someone once tried it, right? We know it because someone tried it and failed. Poor, you know, it didn't work out too well for them. We, that, that's wisdom, right? We're going, you know, real deep wisdom. 
it's, it's useful for going forward, right? I hope you guys all know that. But it actually comes from previous experience. That's where wisdom is powerful. Wisdom is the previous experience. Revelation is the new experience. Now, there's two extremes in this. Two extremes that I see most Christians fall into. The first in this is that it's really hard to tell what God wants to do now by only looking at the past. You want to ask God, what do you want in my life now? And all they do is they just turn backwards and they try and look, you know, into, oh, let's go to Obadiah chapter 2, you know. It's really hard to know what God wants to do now by always looking back to your past. And if you're only looking to the past for God to speak, I will bet that you don't believe that God speaks. Because so many things that God wants to say doesn't happen in the context of the Old Testament. It happens in the truth of who he is and the truth of the Bible, but it has specific applications for now. Just like if I, I run a software company, I'm like looking in the back there, how to deal with software glitches. I won't find it, right? Surely there, we're not going to find every instance, every specific context. They had camels, donkeys. They had no electricity. Different culture, different times. But since people don't have the, the specifics on now, what they'll do is they'll try and pull out anything that thus says the Lord back then. What does that do? When you're only looking to the past and the context doesn't make sense, and so you're like, okay, I know God says this, you become a Christian that bases your entire life around what God says not to do. Since you can't make sense of what to do now based on that our world is different than the Old Testament, you only seek out what God said not to do. And your entire Christian faith becomes about not thriving and kicking butt and becoming the kingdom. It becomes about not sinning, not messing up. It comes about sin avoidance. Millions of Christians, they live their lives not trying to kick butt for the kingdom, not living victoriously, but trying to avoid mistakes. Amen? Someone say amen. (laughs) It's like... Their life mission is to just not suck. It's like if I had a basketball team, like grabbed everybody, like, okay, I guess game time. The strategy is don't lose. Let's go. You know, what? That doesn't make any sense. Like, tell me something else. Not losing tells you nothing to do for how to win. And just like looking to the past and looking at like, okay, don't make those mistakes actually tells you nothing going forward. But millions of Christians are consumed about what not to do, that they never discover what they should do. Christians can recite way more Bible verses on what not to do than Bible verses saying what they should do. Anybody see a problem with that? We've wired our minds around electric fences in the Bible, and we haven't looked at the green pastures that the Holy Spirit and the mind of Christ affords us. If you can't find the answer in the manual, go ask the writer of the manual. Might be a good good way to go about it. So what that tells us is that we don't have to be in angst over that the Bible not tell us what job to take. Yeah, because we're not going to find that. Don't ask God for, um, sorry, ask God for revelation of which opportunity will best serve your interests and future prospects. Many times... Uh, this, this drives me nuts. I, I, I really think one of the things that will be revealed in heaven is like all of the attempted dialogues that we had attempted with Jesus. I think that will be one of the pieces of knowledge we have. I am thoroughly convinced that millions of Christians and God are all screaming the same exact thing at the same time. What do you want? And I believe that God is like, what do you want? 
It's this mind-boggling thought that, that so many Christians have no idea that God might actually want to know what you want. He didn't create us to be robots. He gave us with the power of choice. The power of the, with choice demands that we have desires, that we actually have opinions. I really believe if there's one revelation you can have tonight is that God is actually asking, what do you want? What do you want? The other extreme. You can detour your future by not remembering the past. You don't need a new revelation on what God already gave a very explicit opinion on. I don't care how successful my company is. It makes no sense for me to keep asking God, do I really need to pay taxes? You know, Really, did you mean that? The whole give to Caesar what's Caesar's? Like, have you changed your policy on that yet? He made it very, very clear. So many Christians, they think because they are connected with Jesus, that then it gives them a license to kind of like, well, those don't apply to me anymore. You know, like they move in this new territory. And so we need to know that, that wisdom in the past, God set up for our protection. But when he made opinions really clear, the chances are he's not changing his opinion just because we have his mind. And he does that because he wants us to learn from other people's past mistakes. How many know that it's faster to learn from other people's mistakes than to make them on your own? Let's all prefer to do that. People who rely only on revelation often find themselves making the most elementary mistakes that wisdom would have prevented. The reason I feel I'm so... um, The reason I feel like I'm good at doing startups is not because I have this divine gift. It's actually because I've seen a whole lot of people do it all the wrong way. Like, yeah, I've, I've had front row seats for people making huge mistakes. And so I learned from their past. I'm just like, okay, I saw how that worked out. I'm just not going to do that. I don't need to test it myself. So many Christians, they want to like really test it themselves. I just want to, you know, I know what Jesus says, but I need to find it out for myself. And then six months later, okay, I was wrong. You know, let's just save all that time. That's not very fun. And we can look at stories, the nation of Israel and how they made decisions. Um, it's really instructional for us. The life of David, very instructional instructional for us. Principles. Don't get into specifics like, well, I don't have a king, so I don't need to listen to that story. You know, we think of like authority. We think of like, how does this relate? You know, the nation of Israel, like, oh, well, they didn't have a software company. You know, they would have made screensavers with golden calves on it. Like, it doesn't need to be about that. It needs to be about that when success came, they forgot God. I can do that. I can learn from that. One more. Wisdom used properly places you into greater positions of revelation. People who want more more revelation need to ask what choices need to be made in their life in order to have more revelation. Jesus says, I'll give to any of those who ask. You want more? Ask, and more shall be given. Pretty straightforward. And so if you want more revelation, you just need to ask Jesus, what does it look like in my life to make decisions where I have more downflow, (laughs) more input, more red phones ringing? Because God doesn't have a speaking problem. His people have a listening problem. God does not have a speaking problem. His people have a listening problem. You ask God, Lord, what are the ways in which I can listen more? And it doesn't need to be on a Sunday. It doesn't need to be from 7 p.m. until 9 p.m. on a Thursday. It doesn't need to be any of that stuff. It can be all the time, every day. 
We ask for wisdom to place us into positions of greater revelation. Revelation used properly gives your wisdom a place to be used. So many times I talk to people and they're like, oh, I feel like I have such great wisdom on this particular topic. And they don't want any revelation to find out who does God want to give that wisdom to? Like, well, I have the wisdom. Give me someone to talk to. Well, why don't you ask God who you should talk to? Don't ask me. I'm not the one who has it. There's so many people who feel like the gifting, they, they feel the burden for whatever they have, but they refuse to ask, who is it for? Making sense? You guys want one more? Yeah. Don't write me angry letters here, because this one might. This one's not on the screen either. You just have to hear me. This is about dating. You're going to get a micro nuggets on dating. Because it's applicable for us. A lot of us are failing in that department. Not all, not all. Here it is. Wisdom makes it obvious that you are dating the wrong person. And revelation reminds you that you know better. Wisdom makes it obvious that you are dating the wrong person. Oh, I love Derek. (laughs) And revelation reminds you that you know better. Just because you're a Christian, just because you have the mind of Christ, does not mean you get to suspend all good judgment. Hormones have an amazing way of turning off wisdom and revelation. Use both in dating. He's a great guy. Oh, he's so nice. And he gets eligible for parole in four years. (laughs) I don't care. He's not the right guy. Oh, yeah, she's got great friends. Not me that talk to her anymore because, you know, she can't keep her roommate. She's got a bad temper. She, you know, you know, she'd make a great wife. No. Don't do that. But so many Christians will make a bad decision in dating because they don't have a Bible verse about dating to prohibit them. Let me say that again. So many Christians will make a bad decision in dating because they don't have the black and white letters in the Bible telling them what not to do in dating or telling them what to do in dating. Marry someone for who they are now. Not who you hope they will be. Not because you had revelation about who they will be. You know, that doesn't work there. Wisdom and revelation. Because here's a bit of wisdom for you ladies. The man won't change once you get him married. Not, not because you got him married. That doesn't, women are like, I'm gonna change him. How many men here are like, oh yeah, she changed me? You know? Yeah, raise a hand. Take an inventory. We'll add you with the unicorns and leprechauns. <laughs> I'm he- if, if you had a revelation that God's going to change them, I'm here to tell you that you heard wrong. Because you can't force transformation on anybody who doesn't want it for themselves. I don't care how hot you are. <laughs> the transformation is going to come when someone does not... Did- transformation will come when someone is fed up with their own life. Not because they have this carrot stick of a trophy or whatever. 
Transformation comes when someone decides, I've had enough of my own life and it makes me sick. That's when they transform. So it's, re- it's unreasonable to say, well, I just need to trick them into the wedding service and then we'll be all fine. It's not going to happen. Sometimes it's hard to tell people um, that God... Take this the right way, please. God doesn't really care if you get married or not. Jesus says, if a man does not want to marry, you should not talk him into it. He said that if someone is not able to accept being single, no one should try and convince him otherwise. What does that mean? That means this notion that God wants everybody to be married. He's just like, it's up to you. What do you want? Remember? What do you want? Do you want to be married? Cool. Get married. I'll bless it. But if you don't, that's fine. The Pharisees and disciples had this big debate about, well, what if, you know, someone dies and then the brother marries the wife and then that brother marries the wife and then that brother dies and the other brother marries the wife. Who will she be married to in heaven? You know, he's like, no one. (laughs) We do it because, one, it's something we want. But two, it's it's something that completes our life. I, I firmly believe that me and my wife are um, complementary. We we are far better together than we are apart. By the way, Camille's pregnant. <laughs> Speaking about being together, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Didn't mean to do that. Um, Sorry. Get your minds out of the gutter. Come on. But I, I say that to tell you that you have been given in dating. <laughs> Let me reel it back here again. I should have saved that one for last because it totally ruined this next thing I'm going to say. And this is the last thing, I promise. Is that... um You've been given the most powerful tools in all of creation. The disciples and the Old Testament prophets and everybody, they long to have what we have, and that is the spirit within us. The mind of Christ, that is factory standard equipment. And then we have revelation and we have wisdom together available for us. It is so crazy that we have that. No wonder they did arranged marriages before. Because they didn't have the mind of Christ. They didn't have the ability to connect in the spirit of asking God, who is the personality type, the capabilities, maybe even the career path that is perfectly set for me? Instead of asking God, is John going to be my husband? You should ask, what kind of man will lead me into the perfect image I can be in Christ? That needs to be the choice. And let me just uh, give a little... um, not to get preachy, but there is a somewhat dangerous vein, I believe, of um, Christian dating that says, we want to go back to the biblical standards of dating, which there were none. You didn't see that. It was Jewish culture. They arranged the whole darn thing. But there's this thing where like, well, the father, you know, has all this control and the father is over the daughter until she gets married. And and trust me, I, I get as a father of a daughter, I'm going to be pissed when she starts dating. But but I know that it is her choice, not my choice because of the culture and the times. I am over her well-being. But let me just give you a couple considerations for this. The father has the veto, has all these different things. In those days, 
if you're going to go all the way back there, the life of a woman was pretty rough. The reason the father was over the daughter is that she wasn't allowed to be educated, own property, speak up in church. I mean, and the fact they're getting married at like 13 too. I mean, that's the difference. That we've actually been given the ability to, Isaiah 1 says, we have been given the privilege to reason with God. We've been given the privilege to reason with him. Fascinating, powerful. And to know that anybody who wants to try and force you into this rigid path and formula of dating while suspending wisdom and revelation, I think is coloring outside the lines. So that's it. I love you guys. Are we doing worship tonight? Yes. Okay, good. Uh, so if all the worship people can come up here. And why don't we stand? Tonight we learned about marriage and dating and lots of cool things. Um, so if you are possibly living on one extreme or the other and maybe want to have some revelation or some God kind of um, point some things out, that may be a good time to come up and see what he's saying and uh, have some help with that. So um, if the prayer team could also come come up and... Um, yeah. So why don't we just enter in? So Holy Spirit, we just thank you that you're here. We thank you for what you're doing in our lives, that you're waking dreams right now, that you're bringing to life things that um, people have uh, spoken death over. God, we thank you just for how you're resurrecting things. Thank you for the clarity that you give us and how we hear you as your children. And God, we just thank you for what you're doing.